Yeah, go go and see Terry in Conscious Development. She'll um, sign you off for two weeks. Hi. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. (laughs) This is exciting for us. We're sitting next to each other, side by side. You and me, (laughs) side by side. Is that the song? I have no idea what you're singing. Is that Neighbours? No, I don't know what that is. Anyway, I think we need to give a big shout out to Tim. Massive shout out to Westminster Brown, a.k.a. my friend Tim, your friend Tim, who has been staying here and has helped us with our recording setup. He is what we call the Magic Music Man. Yes, that's what we call him from now on. He's amazing. He's taught us a few things and even offered to help us with our edit, which I think we might take him up on every now and again. Fuck yes, we will. And do you know what? He's in a fantastic band called Part Chimp, Noise Rock, I think you'd call it. Yeah, Noise Rock. And he's brilliant and a nice guy to boot. We might even have him on our Patreon sometime. So if you love Part Chimp and you want to hear Tim... Then come on over and join up. Either give us a tip or what do they have to do? Pay monthly? Monthly. It's like one or two dollars. It's nothing. It's a coffee. It is a coffee and it's half a coffee. It is these days, actually. Yeah. Two bucks. What the? You can't buy anything. You can't even buy a bag of mixed lollies for two dollars <laughs> from Woolly. Well, Woolies never had them. But anyway, it. Michelle has lost, is lost for words right now because she's just beside herself. I just want to say something, Michelle. Normally we start an episode and we do talk a little bit about the weather. And normally, I know you're not here for the weather report, but on this occasion, I would just like to say that last night the weather was not on our side was it michelle (laughs) no it It was not it let you down very badly didn't it it? we had gone out in party frocks we were looking glam we were looking gorgeous i it was hot it was kind of humid it was humid i was was sweating like a sweaty betty sitting there throughout the evening couldn't wait to get out in the rain it was dropping a little bit heavily but by the time we got back to our area it was fucking pissing monsoon it, down. it was it was monsoon like actually because it was humid and i had this long silk dress on <laughs> which i didn't look it's an expensive dress i did not want it dragging in the big fucking puddles on the road so she just got a whole ass out instead for all of the high street to see and screamed my ass is out. But the thing is, it wasn't just out. It, it had a hungry bum. One cheek. I had hungry bum. One cheek showing. Well, I think it could have been 1.5 cheek showing because <laughs> it was not good. We were drunk. We'd had a lot of margaritas You last know what? Night. I have to say, this was the first time I ever felt like my body might let me down from <laughs> laughter. I laughed so hard and I was standing in the rain with an umbrella, but I couldn't go and stand with Michelle under the bus shelter because she'd arrived at that point. But I had seen her little ass waddling off in the distance and her shouting, my ass is out. I laughed so hard that my knees actually buckled and I almost lost control of my bladder more than once, more than once. (laughs) So that was last night. Well, I'm just happy I could have given the few locals a bit of a thrill. Exactly. I actually got a bit of a thrill this morning. Did you? Walking along. I got a toot oh. from Dan the Posty. Toot, toot. Did you have your ass out? No. Oh. Not this morning. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like In that moment, you couldn't, could you? You cared no. more about your silk dress than you did about your dignity. And I think that's fair. (laughs) I think that's good and right. Michelle, I have some feedback from the last episode. Oh, oh, okay. A couple of things. Right. The Manson episode was last week because we're doing a double 
single-hander. Hang on, let me just rephrase that to make sense. We're doing two episodes, each single-handers. I did a Manson deep dive. Where are they now? Episode last week. Michelle this week is doing her own cult, which she'll tell us a little bit more about later on. We talked about suicide before the end of last episode. Committing suicide. You wanted to know why that wasn't really the correct term. And I did a little more deep diving because I didn't really have the answer for you. But it's regarding the fact that usually suicide is the result of mental illness, mental health illnesses or poor mental health. And to destigmatize it, people have now come to use different terminology in order to help prevent suicide. And that's why the word commit or successful or unsuccessful attempts are now no longer part of the vernacular when you're talking about suicide. There's a few other words as well. We try to be sensitive, don't we, Michelle? We do, but I want to know now what the correct vernacular is. Suicided or taking your own life. Suicided. Yeah. That just sounds grammatically incorrect. I don't like it. I don't like this rebrand. But things change, Michelle. And have you noticed that you can't say Michelle and I, it's now me and Michelle? Well, I just think that that is still grammatically incorrect. For old people, maybe. But we want to be young and funky. We're over 40. (laughs) Now that we're over 40. It's not correct. I don't know how I feel about that. And I don't really know that... The difference between committing suicide and suicided is going to prevent or save a life. Well, it's just about making it easier to discuss and work with because people are working with people who have suicidal ideation all the time. So I think if it helps, I'm on board. Yes. I mean, I know that language is powerful, but in this case... I feel you're very resistant I am resistant to to that. No, not to change. I'm all about change. I think everybody changes every single day and in every moment you're you're making a change. You're choosing to change. Changes are small, changes are big. I'm not resistant to change. I'm resistant to stupid change. I'm not sure I agree with I that. I wouldn't say it's stupid. I'm going to say... It's a harsh word. Maybe. I'm going to say that it's been done with a lot of research that we're not aware of mm. and mm. I'm all for it because obviously I work in mental health as well. Yes, you do. But moving on, there was something else. I'm actually going to tell you about another little apology because you Ooh. got something wrong. Do you remember last week we were talking about her name is Kasabian, Linda Kasabian. She was the getaway driver for the Manson, both most famous murders that they committed. And you kept asking me about the drum brand. It's Sabian. There's it's no symbols. So, yeah, Sabian, I think. Sabian symbols. I thought it was. It's, yeah, they are symbols, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, I knew. And do you know what? In my mind's eye, I was picturing symbols. Why did I? Well, I asked him because he's he's a drummer as well as everything else. (laughs) Kasabian drums. Now I have to do a Google on that. You'll only find the band. Sabian. Sabian cymbals, not Kasabian. Wow. I'm such a dickhead. You two better watch out. We don't like anything around here. So I just wanted to talk to you about the shit that I get sometimes in Quora. You know, I, I can't turn it off because it is amazing. The shit that comes through my inbox. And I just think, oh, I don't need that. Let's just delete that. But before you delete some it, of the stories <laughs> have hooked me up. Look at this. Look, I've just brought it up. Have you seen the devil? There's a story about it. Yes, yeah, several times meeting and talking with him is not very pleasant. What else is there? There was something the other day that caught my eye. Quored your eye. Quored my eye. And now I can't find it. But 
There's all sorts. We could just open it up and see. Look, how nice is Barack Obama when there's no camera around? Who asks these questions? I mean, are they are they taking this from Google searches? Like, how is Quora serving up stuff? I don't know. I think next time I will start with a good story. I will find a good Quora story and I'll bring it. Obviously, last week you did a cult, and we decided it was going to be a cult double whammy. Two weeks of crazy cult. A culty time. What a cult. What a cult. So today I'm looking at a cult that's not really very well known because it's a small cult. Only you know about it. Only me and a handful of like other members. Followers. (laughs) Followers. Are you a member? It's not a current cult. It's uh, an historic cult, I guess. It began in Dallas, Texas back in 1974. But it's mad because it all began when a woman called Terry Hoffman started a group. And it didn't start out as a cult. Is it a wellness group? Kind of, but not really. No, it's not. But it does sort of have elements of that because people who I think got embroiled in it were not always mentally stable, you know. Mm. But it was started by a woman called Terry Hoffman. You know, no cult really starts out as a cult, I don't think. That's a good question, you know, Michelle, because I was thinking about that. Should we ask Cora? (laughs) Let's ask Cora. No, I think that you mentioned something during the Manson story last week. I don't know if he ever planned it that way, but it happened and he was getting off on it. Well, I just don't know that people sort of wake up and go, I'm going to start a cult today. You know, I think it starts. But there are some narcissistic personalities and quite mm. often the leader of a cult will be a narcissistic personality who have no empathy for others and discover that, you know, by certain aspects of their personality, they are able to get other people to do as they wish. Yes. And that's quite powerful. That's a powerful uh, feeling. Yeah. It is. And I think people who need that level of control certainly over other humans, will be seeking susceptible it. And, and narcissists. Mm. When I think about this woman, Terry Hoffman, I just think she was delusional. As I progress into the story, you'll sort of see why. Okay. Because she started a, a group called Conscious Development. Honestly, I think that's a fucking great name for a group. I'm already thinking that sounds good. Yeah, me too. Let's join. Oh, although, actually, the, the full name is join. <laughs> Sign me up, Terry. (laughs) Where do I sign? (laughs) The actual name of the group was Conscious Development of Body, Mind, Soul. Did it start as someone said, Terry, listen, you've been working really hard. You've been with us 12 years. We have to make you redundant. She's like, no, please, I can't. I live for this job. So they've decided to make a head of HR before HR even existed. So they called it Conscious Development. Exactly. Where they go and pick flowers together or they discuss things. Yeah, go, go and see Terry in Conscious Development. She'll um, sign you off for two weeks. No, that's not how this one. <laughs> Sadly, I think that would have been a better backstory in some ways. She's an interesting person because she, like many people that we talk about on this podcast, had kind of a fucked up childhood. She was excellent at recruiting, really good at recruiting. So she was in the corporate world. Well, not recruiting as in, well, yeah, HR, but she lived in Dallas in a relatively small time. She managed to recruit hundreds of members in what really is a small town. Mm. And certainly at that time in the early 70s, Terry, unfortunately, 
had a bit of a bad run with the cult because even though she was very good at recruiting, within sort of maybe a decade... She was usurped. No, 11 members of the cult that we know of, including two of her five husbands, oh. either committed suicide, <gasps> sorry, either suicided, right. disappeared, took, took their own life, took their own lives, yep. disappeared, died from freak accidents what? under mysterious Terry. circumstances, or were murdered. Terry. Mm. Uh-oh. Yep. And of all these strange deaths and disappearances, most of her followers had within weeks of dying or disappearing all their money taken they'd left it all to terry oh yes they changed their wills they'd bequeathed everything to terry i think i understand terry's um the ethos behind conscious development now yeah <laughs> yeah it's like conscious controlling conscious give me steal all your, all your money. money yep but before we get into all of that, I'm just going to dig a little bit into Terry and how she ended up becoming a cult leader. So she was born on the 21st of March in 1938 uh, into a poor family. Uh, she had an alcoholic father. And according to the reports I read, she believed from a really young age that she was different and somehow destined to become someone special. I feel like you, Michelle, because you're different, aren't you? You get that pain in the back of your legs when you see things that are upsetting. Well, I saw your husband had a scratch on his leg today and I got the sick pains in my legs yeah, myself. It wasn't nice. It's unusual. <laughs> I'm 30% of the population. Thank you very much. Different. Poor old Terry. She thought she was going to grow up to be someone special. When she was four years old, she supposedly had a visitation vision of... Three men in fancy robes mm. who appeared before her and told her that she could do or be anything, anything she wanted. She wants. Of course she can. Mm -hmm. They also told her that only she could see them. Okay. They couldn't be seen by anyone else or not many people and that she could see them because she was special mm. and that when bad things happened, all she had to do was think about God and she would feel better. And believing everything that, what I think is a weird version of the three wise men. Uh, <laughs> yes, it did sound yeah. a bit like that. Sort of believing everything that they told her, she did end up devoting her life to God in a weird fucked up way. But sadly for Terry, believing in God didn't mean that bad things stopped happening to her because she was, I think, a bit different, you know. Like you. Not special, like me. <laughs> She was different and bullied at school. Okay. I, that was that something certainly that, didn't happen to you. No, it didn't You were the bully. I was, you bitch. I was never the fucking bully. Oh, my God. You knew how to stand you up for yourself. You were the bully. No, I wasn't. I was a bully basher. I was actually teased. A bully basher. I was what? teased. For what? I had black hair and boots and Susie Sue makeup. Well, poor old Terry. She got bullied at school. This is a bit triggering, actually. Her mother gave birth to a stillborn baby oh. and then died shortly after. Her mother died? Mm. Oh, dear. From tuberculosis. Oh. So uh, when she was nine years old... She was alone. Well, her alcoholic father just gave up on her and put her into a Lutheran orphanage. Oh, dear. Although that does sound really fucked up, it's actually when Terry's life began to change because while she was at the orphanage, she had more and more and more religious visions that I think compounded her belief that she was someone special. Okay. And because she didn't have any friends, the very fact of these visions seemed to reassure her that she was doing God's work. The other crucial thing at this point in her life was that she met a nun at the orphanage 
who kind of took her under her wing and told her all about things like four elements of fire, water, earth and air, but also ether. Ghosts. And she also talked to her about reincarnation and bizarrely about the Akashic records. Oh, Mm. I felt like that was a new thing. Obviously not, but, you know, something that we've only just... Maybe it was all coming into play in the early 70s because... Well, actually, this wasn't the early 70s. This must have been in the 60s, Mm. 50s, early 50s, this must be, that she met this nun. Can you explain what the Akashic records are? No. Why not? Well, I can't give you a a quick kind of roundup of that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think it is, which is apparently lives are all written. Our lives and all the lives before and all the lives in the future are all in the Akashic records. That's how I understand it. I think you are right. I think it is to do... The belief is God knows what. I don't fucking know what the belief is. No, but I think the from. I think the premise is it's all past, present, future. Everything is written and everything can be accessed. And this is what this nun was telling her because you know she told Terry about the Akashic records and she said they only existed in the spiritual realm and if Terry meditated she would be shown the past present and future it's the religion of theosophy which is we've talked about that before is that not something to do with (laughs) now I'm over 40 my memory's shot (laughs) Geordie is that not something to do with um, Alistair Crowley yes or is it to do with Waldorf schools I get confused. The philosophical school called Anthroposophy, the Akashic Records are a compendium of all universal events, thoughts, words, emotions and intent ever to have occurred in the past, present or future in terms of all entities and life forms, not just human. That's from Wikipedia. Thank you. So basically it's a big black book of everything. Who wrote it? Mr Akashic. It didn't say in the the Wikipedia. I don't know, but... It's not something that a nine-year-old knows about no, ordinarily. It's too existential for a nine-year-old's and esoteric, mind. esoteric, for sure. Terry's being fed all this stuff from the nun. And put a pin in that because I think this all-seeing, all-knowing spirituality is what she does draw on throughout her life. Mm. And it's also, in a sinister way, it comes into play in what happens to her and this cult. I believe but also while she was at the orphanage terry apparently became convinced that she was the reincarnation of saint Teresa of avila who i didn't know who that was until i looked it up uh she was a 16th century roman catholic saint who like terry had religious visions and who had apparently visited heaven and was also into meditation and prayer well that was convenient the twin of her out there in the saints yes so this went on for two years while terry was at the orphanage but when terry was 11 she was adopted by a dallas couple who took her out of the orphanage and gave her their surname so she then became terry lee branson and with a new family came a new school even a few friends and it seemed like terry was having a pretty normal life at this stage that's nice yeah until she turned 15 when she met an 18-year-old guy called John Wilder, who apparently had a thing for young high school oh, girls. Get fucked, John. Fucking creep. Anyway, Rank. Terry didn't mind because she felt smothered by this adopted mum mm-hmm. and she just wanted to get the fuck out yeah. of that house. So in 1953, she and John ran off to Oklahoma where they lied about their ages and got married. 
They then moved to a small farm a few miles outside of Dallas. And nine months later, Terry was preggers. So how old is she at this point? 16 or something. Barely 16. Yep. And then she gives birth to her first child, Kathy. Which was all fine because at the same time, in 1954, Terry started going to local meditation and hypnosis classes. Put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. And I think this really reconnected her with the visions she'd had and all the things she'd learned at the orphanage from the nun about spirituality and metaphysics and the occult. Fast forward to 1963, nearly 10 years later, Terry's got two more kids. She's struggling financially. Mm. She's not so happy in her marriage and she's moved to some small place called Farmer's Branch, a small suburb outside of Dallas. And she's like, fuck, something needs to change for me. So she gets this great idea. She's going to give free lessons on spirituality to anyone who's interested. Okay. And she manages to find a a room to give these free classes at the Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Pretty quickly, her classes fill up and she's got a reputation around Dallas for being something really exciting and new and different. And it's free. And it's free. And this and more. Really? Yeah. And she gets hundreds of students and she's teaching things like Eastern spirituality, uh, meditation, talking about reincarnation and karma, as well as more kind of off-grid stuff like astral travel. Plus, she was sort of advocating for normal things as well, like how to achieve balance in your life and don't do drugs because Hmm. that will fuck you up. You know, people were just eating up what she was selling basically or giving away for free on the surface of it i think that sounds pretty i agree i agree i probably would have gone to that class especially as it cost zero cash i would have thought something's fishy and avoided it probably i would have asked a few people what they think and if they were too excited about it i'd go oh something's not right i think i'm I'm a bit suspicious i'm suspicious but i also think Potentially, I could have gone just to give it a go. One free class just to see what it was all about. Yeah, I could do that. I mean, I used to do that with the Haris. Although, I was going to say Hari Krishnas. Yeah, but they also gave away that excellent Lovely vegetarian food, food yeah. in Civic. I was always down there for the free veggie, veggie In London feast. as well, they do that too. I think Terry did really, really well because no one else was really doing this in the early 60s. I think people thought it sounded pretty good because she, on the one hand, was saying, don't do LSD, but if you follow me, I'll show you how to astral travel. Okay, so it's without the being saturated in acid like Charles Manson's followers. Exactly. She was also quite charismatic. Like Charles Manson. Yes, exactly. Like I said before, her classes were free. She's got this charismatic personality. Her following grew fast, but... What really set her apart from her other metaphysical peers is that she did tell her followers that she personally had the power to see past and future. That's the Akashic Records fucking with her head. Yes, it's exactly what the nun had told her. Mm. And people believed her. She also told her followers that she could levitate, she could astral travel, she could talk with the dead, Mm. she could heal sick people, and she could protect all all her students from harm and yet still she's not asking for any money no she's not okay i think what she didn't tell them was that she was also a bit of a master hypnotist do you think that's important put a fucking pin in that (laughs) (laughs) 
I had a feeling. I had a feeling that might might be crucial here. In 1974, after she'd been really successful with her free classes, uh, she did decide to legally set up Conscious Development in Texas, where she then started selling tapes of her classes, making little booklets and selling them. She was doing that to bring in money. She wasn't doing anything Ponzi or weird. Yeah, building her brand still. Yeah. And the thing is, if her students slash followers uh, didn't have money, they would give her expensive things as gifts, as tokens of their gratitude. Okay. So she was... The odd Rolex of, here and there. Yeah, she was taking anything, you know, mm. silver, who knows. But the real way she made money was through personal readings and a jewellery business that she set up. And it was called CD Gems, Conscious Development Gems, right. where she would make expensive really fucking expensive for the time gemstone jewelry that she would then bless and sell to her followers right. for big big price tags yes because her jewelry she claimed would protect them from whatever they needed protection she self-styled guru had blessed them yes that's right and look for a few years things went really well for terry you know she had a business she had you know notoriety in her metaphysical circles she had money and success But like I mentioned before, shit started to turn dark for her when some of her followers started disappearing or dying. And between 1977 and 1990, 11 people disappeared or died. And it did not take long for people to join the dots and see that the common link between all these people was Terry. People being the other followers, friends and family or the authorities. Everyone. 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 She was on the radar suddenly. Yep. You know, the fact that Terry was either a beneficiary or the sole beneficiary in their wills was dodgy as fuck. Think it through, Terry. Think it through. So of the 11 people who died or disappeared, apparently two of them had confided to Terry that they had some kind of terminal illness Uh, and that they didn't have long to live. Nice. Not nice, obviously, but... That's like a gift to her. Well, it was bullshit. Oh, what? It was bullshit because when the autopsies were performed. Oh, she said this. This is the gray area because they apparently told her that they were dying, had terminal illnesses, told all their families. Mm -hmm. Turns out they were perfectly healthy, never had any kind of terminal illness. And no one was told about this. No, and the families are saying... Terry, master hypnotist, who just so happened to have been bequeathed everything just days earlier, suddenly my loved one, my family member is saying, I'm dying. But I'll get into that because I'm going to go through some of the people, all the people that died because it's fucked up and fucking crazy. Okay. Also, at least four of the people who died or disappeared, like I said, had changed their wills just before they died. And Terry ended up getting more than half a million dollars plus houses cars Mm -mm. jewelry and in the 70s big big money yeah so and she's you know pulling in more from collecting from wills Mm. than she is from selling jewelry and and booklets well you would how did these 11 people die or disappear do tell let's start with person number one who was actually husband number two 25 year old glenn cooley 25 yeah how old was she she was 38. That's not so bad. Good on you, Terry. <laughs> she, she's getting in there. Just circling back, Terry's marriage to her first husband, John, 
had started falling apart in the late 60s, mostly because Terry felt that John was really negative about her spirituality and it was just dragging her down. And he just didn't believe in her teachings. Interestingly, he actually thought Terry was taking advantage of people who were coming to her and these people were normally like a bit lost, down on their luck, looking for guidance, had maybe, you know, lost their own faith in traditional Mm -hmm. gods. And despite the fact that he, as a truck driver, was only pulling in around 100 bucks a week, Terry was raking in donations of between 50 to $100 an hour wow. for, for her consultations. So effectively, she was the breadwinner in the family. Then in December 1970, quite out of the blue, Terry filed for divorce, which did not go down well with John or Terry's mum adopted mum they both thought she was losing it mentally so they had her sectioned oh yeah uh against her will for a few weeks but it didn't last because the doctors basically gave her a clean bill of mental health and she was free to leave so she did and she went straight back into her culty teachings like nothing happened Mm. the divorce was finalized in 1971 Terry got custody of Kathy, but John, interestingly, got custody of the other two, which I think is quite unusual for the early 70s for a father to get custody. So something's going on there. Mm. But when it came to divvying up the property and the assets, Terry got the 1968 Mustang, some stocks and a whole shitload of guns. Oh, Don't know what she's going to do with those. And thankfully, that doesn't come up. Okay, good. Yes. But John got to keep the house and all the cash in their bank accounts. He actually got the better deal in the way, although I guess he has two of the kids. But not long after the divorce, Terry hooked up with one of her students, which brings us to Glenn Cooley. Yeah, 25 years old. Yeah. Well, he was 20 at the time and she was 33. And reports suggest that Glenn was a sweet guy, but a bit troubled Mm. and maybe a bit of a loner. He loved drugs, loved his drugs, uh, but he was trying to kick it. I mean, I think it was weed and pills. And, of course, Terry was helping him. And I also read that Glenn's family weren't thrilled about him being with an older woman with three kids Mm -hmm. who was a cult leader. But Glenn didn't care and they got married pretty fast. With Glenn dropping out of uni to start working for Terry's jewellery business, Mm -hmm. making all those things that we talked about earlier to be blessed because apparently the more expensive the piece of jewelry that you bought the stronger the healing power was so it's kind of smart but evil i get it apparently glenn's mum thought that terry was quite controlling and apparently whenever glenn went to visit his mum terry would call him non-stop and be like come back home otherwise I'm going to rock up to your mum's house and I'm going to like put my hand on the horn until you come out and come home with me I think she's a little extreme controlling then in late 76 Glenn told his mum he was done with Terry he was done with conscious development and he was done with the marriage Hmm. and on November 24 1976 it was actually Terry who filed for divorce Glenn apparently agreed to a quickie divorce that was signed off on January 27 in 1977. But just five days later, on February the 1st, Terry and a couple of other Conscious Development followers found Glenn dead in the cabin his parents owned by a place called Lake Grapevine. An autopsy found traces of Valium and Librium in Glenn's blood. Librium? What's that? Is that what they give to people with schizophrenia? 
Is that lithium? No, lithium. Librium. I did not look that up. Full disclosure, mm. I didn't did not look up what Librium is. But I don't think it's good. Eventually, like the official cause of death was ruled as a drug overdose. But as luck would have it for Terry, the day after Glenn died, Terry happened to find a note in her safe, which Glenn had apparently put there. Yeah. That read, I, Glenn Cooley, give to Terry Cooley all of my property, both personal and real. This includes two boats, a 1972 Buick, all jewellery and equipment for its making, all furnishings for the house on Dunhaven Road, because Glenn had already given Terry the title right. to the house two weeks earlier. You know, without being coerced. Who knows? She's a master hypnotist. Right. And all his cash. And he says he asks that his last will not be contested by anyone. Okay. Then he goes on to say he gives all his love to his family and friends and he can't really say why he's killed himself, but he says it's not because of Terry or the divorce <laughs> or his past drug experiences or his inability to cope, etc. He wrote etc. etc. in his will. And he also will. said it's nothing to do with Terry. Yeah. He wrote that. Don't look over here. Yes. Fucking hell. <laughs> he says, what it is, I myself know, but don't have the words for. Terry got everything and it's not her fault. Right. Well done. What do you Terry? think of that? I think that's fucked. I think that she's obviously <laughs> manipulated him in some way, whether she used her master manipulating hypnotism. I don't know, but something's not right. Fishy, fishy, yeah. fishy, fishy. It seems it was enough for the police that will well, that was nice and easy, isn't luckily it? Luckily found in her safe. Yeah. Uh, because when they joined the dots between Glenn's history with drugs, his depression, his divorce, right? They were pretty happy to rule it a suicide, but Glenn's family weren't convinced. Not happy. They felt some something was off, mm. and they also believed that there was more cash than what was actually found, and that he'd had a lot of jewelry making stuff. What? To make the jewellery to then sell for probably four or five times that. Oh, I see. He invested in jewellery for Terry's jewellery business. business. Right. That's all gone. Missing. Bullshit. So basically, Glenn's family were like, no, Terry's dodgy. They went to the police, I think, at one point and kind of made their concerns. No, the police dismissed it. But 10 years later in 1987... An ex-conscious development teacher went to police and told them that she and Terry were actually at the cabin the night Glenn died. And apparently on their way there, Terry had told her that Glenn was moving to the next level. Of what? Conscious development? Well, remember, she believes in reincarnation. She believes in Akashic Records. Uh. There's no future past. Everything's spiritual realm. But her claims were never proven. But I think that's interesting. Then there's dead Gosh. person number two. Yeah. Devereux Cleaver. So Ooh, That's a name. That is a name. So after Glenn died, Terry used his death as proof to her followers that there were evil forces working against them. And she called these evil forces black lords. And according to her, the black lords had the power to poison your blood. So the only way yeah. to get rid of bad juju was to let Terry drain that poison blood away from your body. A.K.A. all your bloody blood. A.K.A. bloodletting. A.K.A. fucking disgusting. And honestly, Geordie, we always hear about weird shit with blood Mm. and these cult leaders. It's just weird. A few of her followers, I think, felt the same way because 
a lot of people left after she introduced this bloodletting. It's a no thank you. It is a no thank you. It's like, thank you, I'll take the free class. No, you're not getting my blood. (laughs) Interestingly, the people that did choose to stay, they were, they went all in on conscious development because she had convinced them, Terry convinced them that the only way that she could keep the Black Lords at bay (laughs) was through her teachings and her bloodletting. So in a strange way, it actually made the people that stayed even more loyal because she was protecting them. And one of her most loyal followers, who was also the secretary and treasurer of conscious development, was a woman called Sandy Cleaver. Now, she she related? Yeah. Devereaux. Yes, Devereaux's mother. Sandy was reportedly a shy person. She had a lot of family money, a big fat trust fund. But she was spiritually empty. She found conscious development and threw herself into it to the point where she divorced her husband Chuck because she felt that he was blocking her spiritual development. Mm. And in the divorce, Sandy got custody of then seven-year-old daughter Devereaux mainly because I read that Chuck was scared. Of what? He was scared that Sandy's belief in Terry's ideas about reincarnation meant that, and I quote, she would sooner kill Devereaux than permit her to live with him. Oh, gosh. Okay. So he rolled over. He rolled over because he was like, she's going to fucking kill my daughter. Wow. Because there's reincarnation and there is no death. Sandy got Devereaux. But by 1978, when Devereaux was 14, things were not really too good between Devereaux and Sandy because Devereaux was embarrassed by her mother's involvement in the cult. This led Terry and Sandy to believe that, of course, Devereaux was possessed by the Black Lords. Oh, God. It all feeds into each other. Mm. What I read was that Devereaux was actually like a smart, strong-willed, but normal kind of girl. And she wasn't having any of it with her mum. And they would argue. And the mother-daughter relationship really suffered because of it. So when Sandy actually asked Devereaux to go to Hawaii with her and her new fiancé, who was another conscious development member. Devereaux was really happy to have the chance to have some, you know, mother-daughter time. So off they went. But on February 25th in 1979, Sandy went out on a lagoon in an inflatable raft with Devereaux, where, according to Sandy, a large wave knocked them off the raft. So Sandy's fiancé called the fire department and they managed to rescue Sandy but not Devereaux. Oh, dear. Her body was found hours later in the water. Mm. And on the surface of it, seems like an accident, right? Yes, I suppose. But, I mean, in the context of this story... I mean, how can Terry be blamed for something? She wasn't even there. Right. Well, when Chuck, the father, was informed that Devereaux had been in an accident and had gone missing, he got on the first plane to Hawaii. But weirdly, while he was travelling... And before Devereaux's body had been found, he got a phone call from a member of Conscious Development who told him that Devereaux, remembering here she's 14, had left a will. Oh, my God. Stating who was to get her rock collection and her basketball, along with her $125,000 trust fund. Oh, fuck off. No, come on. Yep. The will, which was, like I said, allegedly written by Devereaux, had been witnessed by two members of Conscious Development. How could her mother allow this to happen? This is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it had been made the day before they travelled to Hawaii. Oh, no. And it read, I give, devise and bequeath all of my property, including all rights, titles and interests of whatever character I may own, 
in and to any property, real, personal or mixed, wherever situated, to Terry, who has been like a second mother to me. This is sickening. How can that woman... She's 14, she wrote that. ...make money from a 14-year-old? It's disgusting. They're all disgusting. I'm so upset. It's really upsetting. And look, thank fuck, that will was not legally binding because of her age. Mm. But the fact that this supposed will supposedly existed and that Chuck got that phone call, it made him go, what the fuck is going on? I.e. did Sandy murder Devereaux? Yeah. Because Terry got in In there. Yes, it does sound like it. Yep. But hold that thought because two two months after Devereaux's death, Sandy took out a 300,000 life insurance policy and who do you think the beneficiary might oh, be? no. That's dangerous, Sandy. Don't do that. You're signing a death warrant. That's exactly what Chuck said when really? he found out that Sandy had taken out that life insurance and mm-hmm. made Terry the beneficiary. He no. was like, she's not going to last. No. So 10 months after Devereaux's death. The pattern's there already. Two people in. I know. I know. But you're so deep in it, they can't see it. No. And Terry's just on her merry way doing Jesus. this. Because... Ten months after Devereaux died, Sandy wrote a will that essentially gifted Terry all her possessions, including a house, all her valuable artworks, all the silver, and Terry would get it all upon Sandy's death. And on June 12 in 1981, Sandy wrote another will, again, leaving everything to Terry, just in case anybody wanted to contest those earlier ones. Three months after this new will was made, on September 9, When Sandy and Terry were in Colorado Springs to look at some land that Terry wanted to buy to expand the cult. Or make a big cemetery. Oh, (laughs) fucking hell. (laughs) Well, something strange happened, which wasn't discovered until the following day when an Air Force Academy paramedic saw Sandy's car at the base of a 450-foot cliff. Oh, God. And both Sandy and her friend Wheezy... Who's that? Just a friend. It was actually... um, the nanny. Oh, all right. She'd been the nanny to Devereaux and okay. was Sandy's live-in help. Gosh. Uh, they were both in the car and the women had been thrown from the car and killed. Thrown from the car? Yes. Now, the local medical examiner... Hang on. It was at the base of the cliff? Yes. So they had gone over the edge? Gone over the edge of the cliff and, and had come been out. thrown out of right. the car. The local medical examiner said the time of death had been around noon the previous day. Mm. But the strange thing was... There were no skid marks or any tire tracks at all on the road. And it was a clay road. And that meant the police had no clues as to why they drove over Mm. the cliff. Was it because she looked in her eyes, not around her eyes into... Look into my eyes, drive over the cliff, look into my... Who fucking knows? Because Terry was there. They were looking at the land. Is she able to convince someone to just kill themselves with this master hypnotism? This is what people are speculating but there's no then proof she's very to dangerous. It. She's really fucking dangerous. But look, as per the will, Terry got everything. But Sandy's brother, because they were a rich fucking family, was like, hold up here. He contested the will. And they ended up sort of coming to an agreement where mm. Terry got half and the brother got half. Mm-hmm. But she still got fucking fortune out of Sandy. Wow. And obviously, Sandy's dead. Devereaux's dead. Mm-hmm. So the body count now is at four. Because we're including Wheezy here. Which brings us to dead person number five, Robin Otsot. Another conscious development follower. 
who by all accounts was devoted to Terry. So in April of 1987, Robin told her ex-husband that she was ill, terminally ill. Right. And that, I know I shouldn't laugh about this, she's told him that she'd contracted viral hepatitis from a banana peel. What? I know. It's ridiculous. If she'd caught syphilis because she'd eaten the creme souffle in that Annecy restaurant. Because somebody had jerked off into the fucking creme brulee. No, it was from a banana peel. How? Who fucking knows? But her ex was like, what the fuck are you on about? And he called bullshit on it. Yeah. And he set up a doctor's appointment for her to have some blood tests done to get a second opinion. She actually did go to the doctor. This was on April 21st. And she had those blood tests. Spoiler, the blood tests would prove that she was perfectly, perfectly fucking healthy. healthy. Yeah. Yep. But after the doctor's appointment, she then went to Terry's house. And then she left Terry's house, went home, picked up a gun <gasps> and killed herself. God. Yep. Extreme. And like Sandy and Glenn, Robin had bequeathed her estate to Terry including predictable yep her colorado land all her jewelry everything and this was created two months before her death now remember when i said terry we think was a master hypnotist yeah she'd gone from the doctor to terry's house come home shot herself Hmm. before it could be revealed that the blood tests proved that she was so maybe terry knew that she was going to get rumbled what says so she convinced her that she needed to kill herself because she yes. thought she had cancer. Viral he- hepatitis. Sorry, viral hepatitis. Yeah. Which... So I think she could have hypnotized Robin into committing suicide. My God, this is crazy. I know. I'm just wondering if she gets arrested, is she going to hypnotize everybody into letting her go? I think you need to be willing to listen to Terry. Right. You have to be a conscious development yeah. follower. You have mm. to believe that Terry is your spiritual guru, yeah. I think. But moving on to dead person number six. 33-year-old Mary Alice Levinson, who apparently worshipped Terry. She was found dead in a hotel room on November 30, 1987. She supposedly overdosed on prescription sleeping pills. Although, weirdly, the autopsy did find a needle mark on her wrist that they never accounted for. And like the others, just a couple of weeks before her death, Mary had changed her life insurance policy. Yeah, it's getting predictable. Yeah. Well, do you know what? It wasn't actually Terry, but an ex-boyfriend of Mary's that she met through Terry. Oh, okay. So he's in cahoots. He's in cahoots with Terry. He was now the the new beneficiary of all her money. He's probably next on the hit list then, isn't he? Well... (laughs) I don't think she managed to get her mitts on that. Okay. But the cops did shop at Mary's house and they found a tape where Mary talked about why she was killing herself. And she said, I want you all to know I'm thinking straight. I've been mulling this over for a while. And honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Now, what that indicates to me is this idea of Terry putting the notion of reincarnation into her mind. Taking Um, the fear away. Yep, that it's okay to die Mm. in this life because you're going to start over again in a new life. And look, with this death, Terry's not really directly involved or bequeathed, but it's not a good look for conscious development Mm. because that's another person who's died. It seems like as soon as people change their wills, they end up dead pretty fast. Don't do it. So then we move on to dead person number seven. Actually, missing person. Okay. Charles Southern Jr. So we're still in 1987. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's reported that family members of this guy, he's a a well-regarded English professor and big-time conscious development follower, he was found walking the streets of Chicago speaking a strange language. Wow. And just out of his mind. Charles was super smart and he had a great job as an assistant chairman of the English department at a local junior college. And he was a key member of the Chicago branch of conscious development. He'd risen up the ranks fast. Mm -hmm. He was teaching, he was leading meditations and he and Terry were pretty tight. He was walking around Chicago like a crazy person and his family were really concerned. So they took him to the hospital to see if they could get a handle on what was going on. And it was most likely a psychotic break brought on by what? But he was in hospital for a few weeks to yeah. recover and just get himself back on track. During that time, there were two members of Conscious Development who, according to his family, visited him every day. Despite this, after he recovered from his psychotic episode, he told his family he wanted out of Conscious mm. Development and he wanted to go to India for a holiday. Okay. He booked it. Three days before he was set to leave for a two-week holiday to India, Charles spoke with his mom. He told him, I'm excited, looking forward to it, whatever. This is 1987, before mobiles. So his family didn't hear from him and they didn't expect to because it's two weeks. Mm. There's no easy way for communication. After he was meant to be back, they didn't hear from him and they got worried. So they ended up breaking into his house and... They found his passport on the kitchen bench with no entry stamps oh, to India. Oh, he didn't even leave the country. No, didn't even leave. They also discovered a weird medicine bottle that had the same poison that you put on poison arrows. They also found Charles's hat and coat folded inside out on a strange stool that they had never seen before that they later discovered was a Nigerian tribal symbol of death. Oh, so and. Finally, they found two scrawly, barely legible notes in Charles's flat that named Terry Hoffman <laughs> as the executor of oh, God. his estate. Come on. Now, I don't know if that means he bequeathed everything to her or if she was just executor. Yeah. I'm not really sure of those details. Okay. But she's connected. Her name's on yeah. that fucking piece of paper. He's never been seen since. It just doesn't add up to me. And again, not a good look for Terry or conscious development. So now we're on to dead person number eight and husband number four, Don Hoffman. Don had divorced his wife and become a member of Conscious Development. Mm. He was full into it and he'd been married for 22 years. Pretty quickly, he and Terry got together. She just divorced her third husband, Ben Johnson, a month earlier, went straight on to Don. It seems things in the marriage were pretty good for Don and Terry for quite a long time. Although by 1988, they were on the rocks. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems that Don had come down with quite a few mystery illnesses. And on uh, September 16, 1988, Don apparently checked into a hotel room in Texas and committed suicide by overdose. He didn't commit suicide. Sorry, he suicided. He took his own life. He took his own life by overdosing on pills. He reportedly left a suicide note and three videotaped messages saying... This has nothing to do with Terry. She wasn't here. She didn't make me say it. She didn't talk to me beforehand. If you're thinking it might be Terry, don't because it's not and don't contest my will. Pretty much. He also said, and I quote, 
I have terminal inoperable cancer and I refuse to go through chemotherapy just to gain a few more months of living. I really wouldn't be living anyway, just taking too long to die. Oh, God. He just wants to check out because he's got cancer. Well, guess what? He didn't have Do start. Dude doesn't have cancer. No. Of course he doesn't have cancer. I knew that. Yeah. Just like Robin, who did not have hepatitis that she caught from a banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Don didn't have cancer, but he took his own life. Terry told Rick in a phone call that Rick, the son, Don's son, recorded that a spiritual master from the ephemeral realm, ephemeral, right. ephemeral realm, told her... Don definitely had cancer, right? But the black lords were trying to create an illusion for and the medical didn't. examiner, right? So they wouldn't find cancer in order to hurt her and discredit conscious development. And you can say that, and people will believe you because you're bloody Terry. Exactly, you just make shit up. I know. And of course, Don left everything to Terry. Mm. But a year later, Don's kids sued Terry for wrongful death, saying that Terry had used hypnosis to persuade Don. To take his own life. Yeah, well, that sounds like it might be the case, Michelle. I think so. And I don't know what the outcome of that lawsuit was because, and I looked, everyone's clocking into the same kind of things that we right. are. Which brings us to dead person number nine, 41 year old Jill Bounds. She was a popular Dallas psychologist, so smart. Yeah. But she was unlucky in love and she was a one time conscious development devotee who only four days after Don's death, and trigger warning here, she was found beaten to death in oh, her own home. God. Now, she got deep into conscious development in 1973, but by 82, she got the ick with it all. Right. Especially after all the bloodletting stuff mm. and all the people like dying with surrounding the cult. So she was out. She yes. didn't want to be in the cult. She got a cockroach infestation in God. her house and she blamed Terry for it. Okay. She was like, Terry brought these dark lords of the insect world into my life. Exactly. And she started calling Terry the witch. So they were not on good terms. That's why it was such a violent death then, wasn't it? Well, the thing is, maybe. Mm. Maybe. Because fast forward to September 20, 1988, when Jill got home, you know, in the afternoon, everything seemed to be fine. Except the next day when she was a no-show to meet up with a couple of mates, they called the police. They went to her, her apartment discovered Jill bludgeoned to death in her bed. Sorry, trigger. Whoever it was supposedly got in through a a window that was not on the security system, the only window. So they knew the flat. To Jill's family, it looked like an inside job. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's more, the murderer had ripped out several pages from Jill's 1979 journal. Oh, That's when she was writing all about conscious development. So Jill had been to Terry for a few readings just a few months before her death. Oh. So police were trying to look for a connection, yeah. but they didn't find a connection solid enough to link Terry uh-huh. to Jill's murder. And it's unsolved to this day. But we know who did it, we think. Allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. And then deaths 10 and 11, double suicides of Dave and Glenda Goodman. Oh. They were long-standing conscious development mm. devotees. And their only crime is because they had shit ton of money. They did have a shit ton of money. He discovered some really amazing computer process and oh, made okay. fucking a lot of money. And Terry got, I think, all of it. Mm. So there was a double suicide. I'm not going to go into how they killed themselves because it's neither here nor there. Yeah. But they had written checks to Terry for a hundred thousand US dollars. Wow. The 
district attorney's office in Dallas did begin looking into whether or not Terry was linked to these deaths, but they didn't, again, find anything concrete. And, you know, she never actually faced any charges relating to any of these deaths. But there was a guy called Prosecutor Cecil Emerson who said that after conducting interviews with followers, he was convinced that Terry had hypnotic powers. Right. But this was really difficult to present to a jury. So that angle never went anywhere when they tried to like pursue Terry for Mm. all of these weird, mysterious deaths. As mentioned before, some of the family members filed lawsuits accusing them, her, of hypnosis and mind control to take people's assets and then either, you know... To take their own life. To take their own life or to, you know, have a fatal accident or whatever, whatever it is. And actually, the police investigated Terry for four years. Okay. But they couldn't pin anything on her. Mm. And It's all a bit esoteric. It is. She filed for bankruptcy in 91. She was sentenced to 16 months in prison for 10 counts of bankruptcy fraud wow. in 94. Okay. But she was released after a year. Mm. Then she married husband number five. Oh, that poor guy. Yep. She then created a website and started counselling people. Oh, she shit. wrote a financial advice book. And she died on October 31, 2015 at 77, never having had any of the deaths or disappearances pinned on her. She got away scot-free. Yep. She's in another realm. She's starting again. So watch out, everybody, because she still could be out there. She- <laughs> yeah. She, like, well, she's she's someone else. She could be reincar- your cat. She's reincarnated. <laughs> she has so reincarnated. Do not let that cat look into your eyes and try and tell you that you've got an illness that you really know you don't have. And, and it- don't sign anything over to Sooty. And beware of bananas. So... That's the crazy woman behind a cult you've never heard of. That's mad. Mm, it is mad. What's even madder is the fact that she there's she no closure for, for this, Michelle. I'm feeling very uncomfortable with this. And not for any of the family members, no one. Yeah. And they, you know, not only did they lose loved ones, like all the money that their loved ones had was gone they lost as well. A lot, yeah. You know, so it's pretty wild cult that mm. it's, it's not well known at all, but... Yeah. Bizarre. If we haven't given you this advice before, we're going to give it to you again. Don't join a cult. Just don't. <laughs> Just don't. You can join a fan club, but when things start getting weird, get the hell out. If they want to take your blood, don't let them. Don't let them. There's no way that Robert Smith from The Cure wants your blood. So if you, you know, if the Cure <laughs> fan club starts saying, send us your blood or sign over your money to Robert because he really needs it. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. And do you remember, if somebody tries to sell you their filthy bath water, don't, don't drink buy it. it. Don't, don't, oh. <laughs> oh my God, don't drink. Don't drink the bath water. Don't do it. Remember what Michelle and Geordie say. Yes. And if you're feeling a bit lost, if you're feeling a bit low, listen to eavesdropping. Don't join a cult. Full of life advice, <laughs> full of laughs and uh, interesting stories every week. Thank you, Michelle, for that exciting story about the cult that no one had ever heard of. It's a little bit left field, but there it is. So I think we've now come to the time of the show where we bid you farewell and say until next week, wherever you are, whatever you do, just just keep keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.